Well, good morning. Watching those announcements kind of makes you want to be in Kids World, doesn't it? <laughs> well, we're in the middle right now of a series called Summer of Love, and uh, we're really kind of um, doing a play of words here on, on uh, the idea of the Summer of Love, which happened several decades ago. As you can imagine from looking at me, I don't personally remember it, right? Please tell me I don't look old enough to personally remember it, right? I'm at that age now where I'd rather you say I look younger than I do than look older than I do. I hit that bump a couple years ago, right? So in any case, we're doing Summer of Love, and what we're talking about is love, sex, and relationships, and, and really what we're, we're really focusing on marriage. And, and fortunately for me, um, this is an area that I really am passionate about. Uh, I work with couples all the time. But one of my responsibilities here is to be couples pastors uh, as well as associate pastors. So I work a lot with couples. I do... Um, a couple seminars and workshops, but most of what I do is one-on-one, me in my office with a couple, and so this opportunity to get to talk to you about this in this large format is, is a, a privilege for me, and I want you to know this probably won't be um, the regular talk you'd be used to hearing from me. I just want to just talk with you uh, this morning about what I think is the number one thing that causes a marriage relationship to either do very well or to do very poorly. In the, in the first message, my dad introduced to you what Dr. Sternberg um, calls his triangular theory of love. Now, that sounds romantic, doesn't it? The triangular theory of love, right? And the triangular theory of love is just this. He says there's three crucial components that every love relationship has to have, and if it doesn't have one of these components, it's not really truly love. And he says those three components are intimacy, passion, uh, and commitment right? Intimacy, passion, and commitment. And every marriage relationship that's going to do well needs to have all three of these uh, elements. And we're going to be talking during this series about each of those, um, but we want to start with what we believe to be. My dad and I talked about this. Um, you know, Dr. Sternberg really doesn't say what he thinks is the foundational element. He feels all three have to be there, and we agree. But my dad and I sat down at a table, and we said, which one of these is the biggest? Which one of these is the foundation, the bedrock at the bottom? And what we felt was we felt that the intimacy element of these three is the bedrock at the bottom of a love relationship. So that's where we're starting this weekend. And I know just as I say that, there's somebody in the room, probably a guy, who's saying, can't believe it. See, it's three strikes and you're out. See, first of all, I come here, they're doing a relationship series, right? Second of all, Jonathan's here. It's not even Mark. Mark's, Mark didn't even show up for this one, you know. Yeah. It's okay. I'm all right with that, right? And, <laughs> and then third, right? It's not even the sex talk. It's not the commitment talk. I showed up on the day when they're talking about intimacy. Now, this is, this is crazy. Why would I show up for this one? Well, let me, let me tell you. I'm going to, you know, I have a very short period of time. It's going to be a shorter message than you're used to, a very short period of time. I just want to, I want to leave you with a couple things to think about before you leave today because I honestly believe that if we were able to really get true intimacy down in our relationships, I think marriages would look a lot different. What, what, what do I mean when I'm talking about intimacy? Intimacy is how, how close or how far apart you feel 
in a marriage relationship. And if you want to pay attention to how this looks, right, you can see it. Go watch somebody on their wedding day, right? As long as all the wedding arrangements are going good and people aren't arguing. If you watch the, the, the groom and the bride, right, they're at this <coughs> spot in their relationship. Everything is tight and close and wonderful and everything is great, right? No, I mean, it's like they are close, man. They're so close that, that you can just smell it in the room. They're just, you know, they're like that, right? But then watch a couple that's not having, uh, uh, that's not doing very well in their marriage. Watch a couple who's maybe going through a, a time when they're considering separation. You, this is the couple who's on the complete opposite end of the spectrum. And ask those two people how close they feel to each other. It, they'll tell you they feel like they're on polar opposites. They're as far away from each other as they could possibly get. And I'm telling you, it is that sense of closeness that is huge in a relationship. And let me tell you how I came to that conclusion. And I, I'm a little embarrassed to share this with you. But I, I got to be, in the interest of full disclosure, I think I should do it. I told you I was just going to talk with you this morning. When I, when I first got here to New Spring, I started working with couples. And um, I had to ask myself the same question that I think anybody who works with couples has to ask. Why is this happening? You know, in, in general, why do couples struggle, right? Because, again, I, you know, from the first time I got here to New Spring, I was performing weddings, and I thought, these people look thrilled. They look happy. What happens between then and, you know, later on? Because we do know there's a difference, right? I mean, I was over at Dylan's the other day. Anybody else like self-checkout lanes? Do I have any brothers and sisters in the room? Great. Yes, I'm a fan of self-checkout lanes. I think it's because I have ADD, and I just want to get done, you know, and move on to the next thing. Can't concentrate on anything for very long, so staying in the line for a long period of time just drives me nuts. So I go to, you know, Dylan's has these self-checkout lanes, right? And they've got it where you've got three in a row. Three in a row on this side, three in a row on this side. So I'm over here on this side, right? And there's this lady right next to me, and she's in the middle aisle. She looks like she's 38, 40, somewhere in there. She's just, you know, she's, she's just very, just doing it, getting those groceries scanned and in the bag. And, and uh, but then there's this couple at the last aisle, and they had to be newlyweds, right? And there were a couple giveaways, right? You can always spot newlyweds. There's a couple giveaways. Number one was they were hanging all over each other, and that's always a good sign, right? But the other one was their rings were shiny, right? And that's a dead giveaway, right? Because once you've been married for a couple weeks, you got soap scum and, and, you know, some oil and junk on there. But if it's shiny, you know, and it's glowing and, and you know, blowing out your eyes, and you know, okay, these people are just, you know, newlyweds. Anyway, so they, they get their groceries, right? And she gets the receipt, and she says, honey, we have 130 fuel points. She said, I love the sound of that. We, we have 130 fuel points. <laughs> And the, the poor lady in between us, right? She's, like I said, she's 38, 40. She had one of the, she, her wedding ring looked like mine. You had some gunk on it, you know? And she walked around him and she, she sort of muttered under her breath, don't worry, sweetie, you'll get over it, you know? <laughs> well, why does that happen? I mean, why do we as couples, why do we kind of think that? You know, I mean, I, I got to be honest with you. She rolled her eyes, but to be honest with you, there was a part of me on the inside. I wasn't rolling my eyes on the outside, but on the inside, I was rolling my eyes a little bit, you know? Because I thought, it is true that couples don't frequently stay like that, right? If you think about it, think about when you were dating. If you think about your proximity, and I'm talking about, you know, emotional proximity. Your emotional proximity to the person that you were dating and uh, once you got engaged, right? 
It was like you guys were in this big bear hug, right? Oh, you're so close. Everything is so good. You're embracing each other, and life is wonderful. And you feel, you know, if somebody were to ask you, how close are you to this person? You'd say, man, we couldn't get any closer. I mean, if we got any closer, we'd be standing on top of each other. I mean, we're really tight like this, you know? And then you get married, right? And, and you know, on the honeymoon, she, she walks out. You're going to go to dinner. She walks out, and you say, are you going to wear that, right? And then it's like, ugh, right? You start to notice you're not quite as close as you were before, you know, sort of pulling apart, right? And then some more stuff happens, and you start pulling farther apart. You start pulling pulling farther apart. And then before you know it, you recognize that, hey, we're not as close as we used to be. And that's kind of, I don't know if you've been there, if you've lived it, but that's kind of a disturbing thought to think. Because you think, wow, what happened to us? We used to be so tight. We used to be so close, but we're not anymore. And then what really gets bad is something significant happens in the relationship. Something significant. Something gets said or something happens, right? And it's like instead of now we were, we were tight, now we're not tight. Now there's something in between the two of us. There's some sort of obstacle here, right? And no matter how hard we try, now we can't, it's not even a matter of not being close. We can't even reach the other person because we're trying to reach him, but there's something in the way, you know? Could be a bad habit. Could be a a habit of yelling or a habit of mistreating somebody. Or could be even a, um, a moral issue, a moral habit. Could be a habit of pornography or, or some sort of acting out. And then after a while, it doesn't become the only obstacle then, then there's another one and another one. And that's when, when a couple says, but I can't reach them. They're on the other side of the world from me. And no matter what I do, right, I can't reach them. And then they say something really brilliant, like, well, if my spouse truly loved me, they'd just get over it. And what I mean by that is they would just find a way to just deal with all these obstacles and come be close to me, even though there's obviously things that are keeping us apart. Or, or, you know, and, and then and so you've got these obstacles. They're keeping you apart. It's like, well, my spouse ought to just get over it. But it doesn't happen that way. I told you when I first started working with couples, I needed to figure out why couples had difficulty. To be honest with you, I didn't catch on to this at first. I didn't catch on to the fact that it's that closeness that comes apart, and now you've got two people who are trying to find each other. I, you know, I, I read books, I went to school, and what I was taught was that the reason that couples don't get along, the reason that couples have problems, is they don't behave well, right? They just don't behave well. And so if you could teach them how to behave better, they would have a better marriage, right? So what we're going to do, you know, is we're going to learn how to teach couples to fight fair, is there any more oxymoronic term than fighting fair? If you were fighting fair, you wouldn't be fighting, right? We're going to teach you how to fight fair. We're going to teach you how to communicate, right? And in doing those things, we'll make the marriage be better. And what was so disturbing for me is that I would do that with a couple. I would work through, I would give them rules, you know, here's how you're going to fight fair. You're not going to criticize. You're not going to get defensive. We're not going to blame. We're going to do all these things right. And there are nothing wrong with those things, but it didn't fix the basic problem. And so those couples would do better for about six weeks, and then they go right back to where they were before. Why does a couple criticize each other? Why is blame big in a couple? Why do couples get defensive? Well, I would tell you I believe it's because of this. It's because they can't reach each other, and they're pretty distressed about it. You say, well, that's great, Jonathan. That's swell. I hear what you're saying, but um, 
how, is that, how do I know that's a, a God thing and not just a Jonathan thing? Well, I'm glad you asked. Let's go back to Genesis. In the book of Genesis, this is right as God is creating. And by the way, I should tell you, I'm, I'm really embarrassed to tell you this, but uh, your, your associate pastor here is kind of thick sometimes, right? Sometimes it takes a little while for something to get through, right? And so I was going through this stage. I'm like, what is it that's really causing couples to have difficulties? What is it that's really the big issue here? And so instead of doing what I should have done, which is go right to the scriptures and say, God, what do you have to say about marriage? I thought I already knew all that, right? So I thought, okay, I knew all that. I need something new, right? So, you know, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a fan and student of psychology. I went to all the psychological um, uh, information, the research, was reading what everybody had to say. I was looking for, because I believe that good research will always prove the Bible to be right. So I was looking for who had done good research. And what I found was, and you'll, this is so incredible. What I found is that the most, um, the new, best, uh, boutique, um, uh, what would you call, cutting edge, theory of why marriages survive is that there is a strong connection and an interdependence of two people on one another, right? And so I thought, well, this is great, until I thought about how stupid I was that I didn't go to the Bible in the first place, because look at this, in Genesis 2, as God had created the world one stage at a time, he said, this is good, I've created the, this element of creation, it's good, this element is good, this element is good, but then look in Genesis 2.18, it says, then the Lord God said, it is not good, whoa, red flag here, God just said everything's good, 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 good. And then God says, it is not good for the man to be, what? Alone. Huh. And then he says, I will make a helper who is just right for him. Now skip down to verse um, 24. And this is God himself explaining what marriage is all about. This is the design discussion about marriage. God says, this explains why a man leaves his father and mother and is what? Joined to his wife. And the two are what? United into what? One. It's so funny. You know, finally the research says all these things, but God has said it over and over and over again, and he started saying it in the second chapter of the Bible that you have in your hands. God said, look, marriage is about togetherness. It's about a connection. It's about two people that are joined. They're united. They're into one. They're not two separate entities. They are one entity together. Isn't it interesting that it takes us all these years to figure this out, and it's been in the Bible all along? You might say, Jonathan, okay, okay, okay. I get this is in Genesis. This is you know, part of the beginning of the Bible. But how do, how do I know that this is really what God thinks about marriage? And it's not just some poetic, um, you know, random comment that God made uh, in, the, in the beginning of the scriptures about marriage. Well, let me, let me take you to Matthew 19. And in Matthew 19, Jesus is talking to the Pharisees. Now, the Pharisees, they want to talk to God about divorce, right? And they come and they want to ask him, they want to ask Jesus, what's your, you know, what's your stance on divorce? And the Pharisees came and tried to trap him with this question. This is in Matthew 19, 3. Should a man be allowed to divorce his wife for just any reason? By the way, does that question sound familiar? Isn't it interesting that our culture has pretty much stayed, we're still staying with the same question. You know, we've stripped the gender roles out, but we're basically saying, is it cool if somebody decides to divorce somebody for just, you know, whatever reason? I think, uh, I think we call that irreconcilable differences, right? So is it okay for a man to be allowed to divorce his wife for just any reason? But look at what Jesus said. Haven't you read the scriptures? 
Jesus replied, they record that from the beginning God made them male and female. And he said, this explains why a man leaves his father and mother and is joined to his wife, and they too are united into one. And look what Jesus adds to that verse we just read a second ago. Since they are no longer two but one, let no one split apart, let no one separate, put obstacles between what God has joined together. This is Jesus talking to the Pharisees. Pharisees want to come and talk to him about divorce. But isn't it interesting that Jesus said, look, you're not asking the right question. You're asking me about divorce. Divorce is the wrong question. You should be asking me about how is marriage designed to function. You should be asking me about how is it supposed to work. You're asking me about how it's supposed to come apart. That's not the right question. How is it supposed to work? And he's saying, look, marriage is all about two people being connected, being joined into one. I'm telling you, this is God's weighing in on marriage. God is saying intimacy, togetherness is the fundamental foundation of a marriage. No wonder, no wonder when, when we're separated by something and it's in the middle of us, no wonder the marriage doesn't work. No wonder we can't get along and we can't talk and we can't communicate and we are criticizing and we are blaming and we are being defensive because we can't reach each other and that's how God designed marriage to work. It's always interesting when a couple comes in to talk to me. They want to come talk to me to find out what's wrong, but usually there's a theory before they even get there, right? They come and they tell me, you know, we want you to tell us what's wrong with our marriage, but I have a theory, and my theory is it's them, right? I just need you to confirm or deny that for me. I, mostly, I would just like for you to fix them. Can you fix them? Do you have some sort of kit, Jonathan, that, you know, the idiot husband, can, do you have something for that? Is there a book, right? Do you have a book in the New Spring store of how to restore your idiot husband to the Prince Charming you always thought he was in the first place, right? You know? And I just have this disrespectful wife. She's, she's just disrespectful. She's unkind. She's, she's mean. She yells. You know, she just drives me nuts. Jonathan, can you explain to her why she's tearing our marriage apart? This may be the most important thing I say this morning. But it's very, very difficult to fix a marriage by fixing your spouse. Your spouse is not the problem. The connection between you and your spouse is the problem. Now, the behaviors that are being behaved, you know, if, if, if your spouse is doing things that are causing you guys to be separated, then those behaviors are an issue. But the thing is, if you go in there and try to fix your spouse, it won't, it won't work. You've got to start with the connection. I don't know if you remember, there was a, a, a famous show that was on for a while called John and Kate Plus Eight. Anybody remember that show, right? Um... I honestly didn't watch a lot of that show, but I do recall that as a person who works with marriage counseling, I read in a, I, I read in a TV guide or something that John and Kate, whose marriage was ending, were going to be on TV in a counseling session with a counselor, right? And so I thought, well, this is worth watching, right? So I turned it, well, this is the kind of decisions I make, you know? So I turned it on, right? <laughs> Let's see what's going to happen here, right? And here's what I thought was interesting. There was a bunch of junk about how the relationship was falling apart. And, and they started talking about the beginning, back when they were close and things began to, to pull apart. And here's what I thought was so interesting. I heard them both saying, he wanted to fix me. She wanted to fix me. And I didn't want to be fixed. I wanted them to understand how much I was hurting. If you are in this room, maybe you have a great marriage. This isn't an issue for you. Maybe it's something you put in your hip pocket and remember in case you need it later. But if you're in this room and you have a tendency to want to fix your spouse, it'll never work that way. 
Because your spouse is not the problem. The connection between you and your spouse is the problem. What did God say? A man and a wife are joined and they're united into one. And then God said, let no man separate what God has joined together. Now, maybe somebody said that in your wedding ceremony. I don't know. I, when I perform a wedding ceremony, one of the very last things I say before I tell that you know, anxious groom he can kiss the bride is I say, what God has joined together, let no man put asunder. Now, here's what's really interesting. You should know this. The Hebrew word there for put asunder means to tear apart from the inside. So when a, when a minister says that, he's not saying that for the benefit of everybody in there in case he's saying, any of you jokers want to come up and try to split these two people apart, don't do it. That's not what he's saying, right? He's saying, the two people in front of me, you should know, God is in the business of joining you together. Now don't pull it apart from the inside. Remember in Genesis 2 where I said, God said, it's not good that the man should be alone. I'll create a helper who is just right for him. What does that word helper mean? Well, if we go back to the Hebrew, it's a, it's a very telling word. That word has, has two meanings. One meaning is a fellow traveler, one who goes alongside you, so a person who's a companion and, and always has your, your back, right? That's one, that's one meaning. And the other meaning, though, is this word was used throughout the Old Testament as a, as a reference to God, and it really means a hero. It means somebody who helps you out when you're in trouble, Right? And so God has said, look, marriage is all about a connection, and the way that that connection works is you have two people who are going to have each other's back. They're going to be together. They're going to have each other's back, and when trouble comes, they're going to help each other out. And God is saying, once I start going about the business of putting your hearts together, don't pull apart from that. And what don't pull apart from that means is, husband, you've got to stick by your wife. You've got to stay by her and understand that what she's going through, affects you as much as it affects her because there's a connection between you and God is joining you together. So don't pull apart from that. Husband and wife, you need to stick by your husband. Stay connected to him because what he's going through affects you as much as, as, as it affects him because God is joining you together and you don't pull apart from that. I don't have time to really go in detail about this. But if you want to know why I think we struggle with that, we struggle with the pulling apart from the inside, you can go back to Genesis 3. This is a story of, of how God had said to Adam and Eve, he said, okay, here's the deal. We're in a relationship, the three of us. We're in a relationship. You guys are married, and, and I'm your God, and we have this fellowship and this relationship, and there's a, there's a connection between us. We have a bond, right? And you can have anything in this garden, any of the trees in the garden you can eat the fruit from. This is here for your enjoyment. But there's one tree you're not to eat from. And if you eat from that tree, now our, our scriptures say you will surely die. But keep in mind, these are the first two human beings. They haven't watched anybody die. And the term die there is really just a word for separate. So really God is saying, look, we're in a bond. We have a relationship. We have a connection. If you eat from that tree, it will separate us. It will tear us apart from the inside. So don't do it. But if you read Genesis 3, you'll watch Satan in the form of a serpent come to Eve and tell her, what did God say? Did God say you're going you're gonna to get separated from him if you eat this fruit? Right? And Eve said, yeah, that's pretty much how it goes. We touch it, we eat it, we get separated from him. And Satan says, you won't get separated. And besides, God's trying to hold you back. God's trying to keep you dependent on him, right? You need to be independent. Once you eat this fruit, you're going to be like him. You're, you're going to be at the same level that he is. And this is what Satan is doing to us in marriage today. Satan is coming to us and he's saying, you don't need to be dependent on your spouse. 
You don't need to be connected. You can be in love with them and in a marriage with them, but you need to be independent. And by the way, have you noticed there's a cultural message that says that? You need to be independent. Get out there and do it yourself. Don't be dependent on your spouse. That's weak, right? And let me tell you what, that message is coming from Satan. Satan is is propagating the message out there that the best way to have a marriage is to be independent and married, and it doesn't work that way. God said marriage is all about healthy dependence on one another, and science is just now catching up. Going to be independent. Going to let attraction tell me what to do. And God says, no, it's all about the connection. It's about the commitment. It's about you getting in there and saying, I'm connected to this person, and I'm going to safeguard their interests. I'm going to create, and this is such a huge word, I am going to create safety for my spouse so that they know I am with them and I have their back. That's how God designed marriage to work. I want to just say something really quickly at the end because I think one of the things that really messes us up is we, we kind of get intimacy confused with something. And God designed marriage for intimacy. He designed it for connection. But the world that we live in has convinced us that attraction rules. Have you noticed that? If you're attracted to somebody, you probably love them. If you're not attracted to them, you probably don't love them. You know? If you used to be attracted to them, but you're not attracted to them anymore, you probably fell out of love. Can I tell you something really important about attraction? Because you could be sitting here in this audience as we, as we wind down this morning. You could be sitting here and you might be saying, you know what, Jonathan, I appreciate what you're saying, but I don't feel the desire to be connected to my spouse anymore. There's all this junk in the way, and I don't feel it anymore. I don't feel the need to be connected to them anymore. And I'm just sort of like over here on my own side because the feeling's not there anymore. Let's talk about those feelings of attraction for one another. And we all pretty much know when, you, when we're dating, those are there, yeah? We're, we're attracted to one another. We want to be with one another, spend time, talk on the phone three, four hours at a time. Wow, it's one o'clock in the morning. How do we stay on the phone this long, right? That's what happens when you're dating. In my car, when I, go, when I go out to leave here and go to lunch after the second service this morning, I'm going to put my key in my little Volkswagen. I'm going to turn the key, and even though it's a Volkswagen, and hopefully uh, it will actually engage what a little gizmo underneath my hood called an electronic starter. Right? And that electronic starter is going to spin the gear work of my engine for a couple seconds, not for the purpose, now get this, not for the purpose of running my car, but for the purpose of, of giving everything a chance to spin until all the important systems of the car can actually engage, and then the, car, the full engine comes on and it can run. See, that's what attraction is. Attraction is nothing but a starter. God gives us healthy attraction to each other in the beginning of the relationship to spin the gear work of the relationship long enough for real intimacy, real connection to kick in so that that can be the fuel for our relationship. If you want to know why so many relationships have so much trouble today, it's because they try to run the relationship on the starter. And I guarantee you, if I tried to run my car on the starter, it would burn out the starter like that, and it would never allow the car to be used the way it was intended to be used. So many of us, we try to run our relationship on attraction, but we get burned out so fast, and we can't run the relationship the way God intended it to be run on attraction. God put that attraction there so the intimacy could touch off, and then we could be together. 
So you might say, Jonathan, I just don't feel those feelings of attraction, and I get that, but those feelings of attraction are temporary. Whatever you're attracted to is going to be a temporary thing anyway. The thing is, now is the time to say, all right, whatever it's going to take, the intimacy that God designed us to have in marriage to start with, that's what we want. We want that connection. We want to be able to feel close to one another, and we're going to have to work at it. So how do you do that? I have two minutes to tell you how to do it. And the best example for how to actually have intimacy in a relationship comes from God himself. Because if you think about what our relationship was like with God, right? At first, you know, when God created Adam and Eve, the relationship between God and man is like this, right? We're close, we're together, everything is great, right? But then Adam and Eve choose to break that connection by eating the the fruit that God said don't eat, right? And so now there's this huge obstacle in between man and God, and there's no way that we can reach each other. The sin stands between an imperfect person and a perfect God, and there's no way that we can reach each other. So what does God do about it? Now here's what's really important to understand. There will be some obstacles in your marriage that only you can move. That doesn't mean they're your fault. It just means only you can move it. There are going to be some obstacles in your relationship. Maybe it's an obstacle of unforgiveness. Maybe you haven't forgiven the other person for something they've done. Or maybe there is something that's something that you're doing. Maybe it's a habit or a, or a concern. Or maybe it's something that stands undone for your spouse. Guys, maybe your wife needs more of your help. Maybe it's something that's just not being done. Whatever it is, it's an obstacle that's in between the two of you. And you know only you can move it. And that is exactly where God was. Because here we are, God and man cannot reach each other, the sin of man stands in between, and there is only one person who can do anything about it, and that is God himself. So what does Romans 5.8 tell us? Romans 5.8 tells us how to have intimacy when there are obstacles. Romans 5.8 says this, but God showed his great love for us by sending Christ to die for us while we were still sinners. Okay, this is huge. How did God have intimacy with us? He said, all right, there's an obstacle between us, Only I can move it. I'm going to move it. But here's the thing. God also showed us something else. Did you notice it said God sent Christ to die for us while we were still sinners? God did not say that, okay, all right, I'll move this obstacle out of the way if you shape up, right? If you fix your side of things, right, then I'll, I'll move this obstacle out of the way. Here's the other thing. God did not demand acceptance from us. Can you imagine if God had said, I will die on the cross for you if every single human being in the world will commit to me that they will accept the gift of my moving that obstacle out of the way. God said, this is not about man's character. This is about my character. This is about the the fact that who I am means that I move obstacles out of the way. That is how I offer intimacy to the other person. Then it's their choice. So this morning as we wrap up our time together, can I encourage you to think about what that would mean in your relationship? If you would say, okay, here's some obstacles. I know there are obstacles in our relationship. I know there's things that are keeping us apart. And I know there are things that only I can move. Maybe there's some things in the relationship only your spouse can move. But I know there's some things in the relationship only I can move. And so I'm going to move them. I'm not going to require my spouse to commit to me that they're going to shape up. I'm not going to require them to tell me that they're going to come and and crawl on their knees and say, thank you so much for removing the obstacles. But what I'm going to do is I'm going to move the obstacles, not because of who they are, but who I am and the God that I serve who's shown me how to do it so that I can offer my spouse intimacy and so that if they want to, they can reach me and we can be joined and we can be close and we can be connected and we can have the marriage God designed us to have in the first place. I don't know where this message 
uh, touches you this morning. I don't know where you're at in your marriage, but I pray that each of us would go home today with a thought that no matter what we do, we need to worry about the connection. Don't worry about fixing your spouse, right? Tell God, if, if, you know, if you want somebody to fix your spouse, tell God, right? Because he's the only one who can make it work, right? Let's say, you know what, if, if we're going to focus on fixing something, let's fix the connection because that's primary. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for giving us marriage, for showing us what your design is, and for helping us to know what's most important. Father, we pray for each of our marriages that you would help us to be connected and close to each other. As heads are still bowed and eyes are closed, if you would say, you know, Jonathan, as you talked about the fact that God cleared the obstacles out of the way for a relationship, it really touched my heart because I knew there was something between me and God. I recognized there was an obstacle between me and God, but I didn't know he'd already done all the work. I didn't know he'd moved the obstacle out of the way. What remains? Well, what remains is for you to just embrace him and to say, yes, God, I want to be in a relationship with you. I want to be close to you. And if that's where you're at this morning, I'm going to say the words to a very simple prayer that just says, yes, God, that's what I want. And you can say this silently in your head to God if that's where you're at this morning. Ready? Here we go. Dear Jesus, thank you that you love me. Thank you that you cleared the obstacles out of the way. I accept your free gift of heaven and forgiveness. I know I can't get to heaven by myself. I trust you with that. I leave my life in your hands, Jesus. 